You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 10 of the Pensbrook Podcast. I am Garrett Behanna, joined once again by the always lovely Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you? Doing great, Garrett. Happy holidays to you and everybody else in radio land. Uh, yeah, same to you and same to everyone else who, uh, w- whenever you are listening to this, but it's probably around Christmas time, if not a little bit after. Uh, but, Jim, uh, this is a little bit of a quick turnaround for myself, uh, pubbing, the, pubbing the last podcast uh a few days ago talking um really previewing uh the games against the anaheim ducks and los angeles kings that were played over this past weekend and now we have results and jim we have a couple of talking points to take away from those two games and uh so the game on saturday night against the los angeles kings was a game that i was recapping for pensburg so i was very up close and personal with it and uh Jim, I, I know one of the biggest takeaways you wanted to talk about as, as we kick off this episode of the podcast was the fact that in in the game against the Kings and in the game against the Anaheim Ducks, a 4-2 loss, uh, the Penguins have blown multi-goal leads. And and this isn't even a, a trait that has been infesting the team recently. Um, really going back, uh, they, they've blown multi-goal leads. I want to say they, they really started against Boston. They got the win against Boston. Uh, five to three, I believe it was. And then they go, they play against the Kings and I believe they were up three to one and they ended up blowing that lead and ended up getting an overtime win. And they go out two nothing against the Anaheim Ducks in their last game. And you think, well, this is fantastic. Evgeny Malkin gets a great power play goal. Brian Rust is still on fire, still scoring goals. You think all is well and the Penguins are just going to handle handle the Ducks pretty comfortably at home. And the Ducks score four unanswered goals for uh, for a quite surprising victory, at least in my opinion. So, Jim, I want to get your thoughts on what you think this last little tiny stretch of play uh, for the Penguins has been like, and more especially uh, talking about these blown leads that, that, that the Penguins that have been really infesting their play. Is this something that we're, we're really going to have to watch closely from here, maybe until Christmas or the new year? I hope not. I think so, because if you look at it, like you mentioned, the past three games in a row, Pittsburgh has had a two-goal lead against Anaheim Ducks, two to nothing, lost four to two, like you said, up three to one against LA, another big swing, giving up multi-unanswered goals in a row. Same thing against Boston, up up three one, it was tied three three, eventually won five three. If you look at it, the nine games so far in December, they've blown a lead in five of those games. 
So that that's disappointing, and that that's a real trend. And other than the game against the Islanders a couple of weeks ago, where they just waxed them, every single game that that Pittsburgh gets a lead, they give it back. So that that's troubling, and I don't know why they're taking their foot off the gas or just mentally relaxing or or what the problem is. If if someone makes a turnover or someone gives the penalty box at the wrong time, it just seems like it's one. If it's not one thing, it's another. They can't catch a save, or they they lead the goalie out to dry and that that really right now looks like the major problem with this team and it's really preventing them from getting on any kind of track or getting in momentum or really I think to have fans or coaches or the players even feel like they're actually getting somewhere because once they get started and I know a lot of people have said this and it's true but it's just like the two step forward one step back thing two steps forward two steps back and you never get anywhere when it goes like that. And and so far they're kind of in this holding pattern and blowing all these leads and it does not look like a good sign at all. And they definitely need to get a lead, keep a lead and probably build some more confidence to go out of that. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the ducks game, but you know, like I said, I, I was watching that Kings game and it's, it's really exactly what happened, what you were describing. They, they, they were controlling the Kings really at least on the score sheet, uh, and, and the, with the goals being scored, I, I believe I believe it was a three to one lead was the, the biggest lead they had at one point. And you would think, at home on a Saturday night against statistically probably the league's worst team in the Los Angeles Kings, you, you know the, the the Kings don't have really a lot of firepower. They're they're, they're I, I remember they were facing quite a few injuries. Uh, and their lineup was really constructed. It was they were talking a lot about Andre Kopitar, and m- maybe they brought up Jeff Carter a, a little bit. You know, those are the guys that you know they've really been relying on recently. And these the goals that were being scored by the Kings were, I mean, in my my opinion, I, they were being scored by guys who I'd never even seen play before. They're the, the Kings were getting contributions from from guys who I had really never seen play and. That was discouraging to me because this last stretch of games for the Penguins, you know, where they where they found success, they squeaked out a win where they were badly outplayed against the Boston Bruins. I was at that game. Uh, I was at PPG Paints Arena to watch that game. That was that was a horrendous showing by the Penguins, and and somehow they, they still managed to get a five three victory on the back of Casey DeSmith uh, in a, in, a, in a game that we already talked about where they blew that lead and. Going into that Kings game, you know, you, you really expect them to really step up their game and play a really nice sound game at home on a Saturday night against the league's worst team. And exactly to your point, they kept letting the Kings back in. I, there was never a point when I was recapping the game where I really felt comfortable to myself to say, this game does not belong to the Kings and it it, it will be the Penguins game to win um, until regulation ends. And you know they go into overtime and i'm just thinking to myself if this team gives a free point to the los angeles kings the worst team in the league on home ice it it just continues the narrative like you said of one step forward two steps back they were having such a nice stretch of games uh but between um did they get a win before the boston game i can't remember uh I'm tr- I'm looking I'm looking I'm looking No, that's when they lost to Chicago. Yeah. So they came in they got two they got two really big points against an Eastern Conference team in the Bruins. They and then they come in at home and just squeak by the Kings and I really felt like that was uh 
That was Matt Murray's return game. So I guess we can talk, we can branch off into Matt Murray's return and uh, how strongly I thought Matt Murray played a net. That was two games back to back where goal to the, go, the goaltenders, both Casey DeSmith against Boston and Matt Murray against Los Angeles, really stood on their respective heads and kept the Penguins in that game. And, uh, you know, for the Kings to be the worst team in the league and Matt Murray having to make 48 out of 51 saves in his return, I thought it was a tremendous return for Murray uh, looking to be back in form. There was one goal in particular, I believe it was the third goal that Murray gave up that was very, very soft. But in the grand scheme of things, looking at Matt Murray's play, I thought it was a very tremendous, very solid return. But still, there's two. That's so. That's two games. Looking at the Bruins and the Kings, where the team has let up 45 plus shots for the goaltender to face. And um, I remember I was listening to Casey DeSmith after the Bruins game, and he was he went on record and he said in the post media interviewing that um, you know he, it's fun for him when you know he's put in he when he's put in a position by the by the coaching staff and the players and, and he's being peppered with shots and he's able to make these really great saves to give him confidence and i'm sure that's true but from a coaching perspective and from a fan's perspective you know i'm i'm ready to have a heart attack watching Casey DeSmith and Matt Murray having to make combined 80 plus saves in a back-to-back contest back-to-back contest at home that is something that is concerning to me and i'm sure you know the the opposing shot totals are another factor that's leading into these 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 multi-goal leads being blown as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And you look, the Anaheim Ducks, since I did preview, they were dead last in the league. They only took 26.9 shots per game coming into the game against the Penguins, and they got 38 shots on goal in Casey DeSmith. So they got almost 10 more than their season average that night. Where Yeah, that is 10, more than 10 more. So that, that really just shows the Penguins' defense right now, from the forwards back to the blue liners, they, they can't do anything to prevent shots. A lot of rubbers flying at the goalie. So that's a problem. Uh, the Penguins, we all know, have only had about – league average goaltending so far. Casey DeSmith has been good. Matt Murray, not so much. So you average it and it's about even. Um, but that that looks to be an area where I think that the Penguins will get some improvement for, especially if Matt Murray, now that he's back, if he's healthy, if he can get into a little of a groove and play like the Matt Murray of old, I think that that's a good starting point for some improvement and the team's going to need it because you know, when you give up 38 shots on goal to the team coming in that can't shoot the puck a lot, that that's a really bad sign. And I don't know if the Penguins are going to live and die giving up 35, 38, 40, 50, you know, all these shots on goals. You, you don't want to see it continue forever. But for now, if it does, the goalies have to be ready. And I do think, to your point, uh, the goalie performances here, probably in the last couple of weeks, have been really pretty good there's not too much to complain about i don't think on a, overall on the total body of work that these guys are getting so that's an opportunity really for the pens to improve on and get that good play going so they're probably going to need it with all these shots they're giving up so i think it's a good thing that they're finally starting to get it so uh, jim i want to get your thoughts on the goaltending situation as it stands right now with matt murray finally making a return a return that i thought was much more earlier than, than expected when he was placed on injured reserve. I believe it was over Thanksgiving. Uh, I could have swore I saw in either a tweet or a press release that Murray was going to be shut down until the start of the new year. Um, 
and like come back uh, when 2019 was underway. And I'm encouraged. I'm obviously encouraged that Matt Murray is back. I think Matt Murray, if he's fully fit and fully ready to go, I, I, I think he needs to receive, in my opinion, I think he needs to receive the bulk of the playing time. If, you know, if, if this is the guy you're going to pay to, to be, you know, your number one goaltender and who already has two Stanley cups to his name, I, I think the only way to get him out of this funk that he had before he was injured um, is, is to put him in there and, and let him sink or swim. I think, the Penguins are going to really ride or die with Matt Murray in net. At least that's how I view it. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts now that Matt Murray is is fully healthy. Uh, I believe Adam Gretz actually uh, put up a, a nice post on Pensburg uh, quite recently, d- really uh, taking a really hard look at the goaltending situation now that Murray is back and healthy and trying to decipher who will get the bulk of this playing time. And I believe the argument was looking at the bodies of work, Casey DeSmith has he has earned the right to really be the, the one a to Matt Murray's one B at this point in time, will he be able to sustain uh, the the quality stretch of play that, that he's had recently? Will he be able to sustain it over the course of the rest of this season? That remains to be seen. I, I don't know if, you know, his level of play will, will kind of decline ever so slightly back to um, back to average or slightly below average what what you, you what you would expect a, a, an NHL backup caliber goaltender to do and that allows Matt Murray to kind of sneak in uh, provided how he is playing you, you you want to assume he is playing at a high caliber level that would allow Murray to sneak back into the uh, to the quote end quotes uh, starter position the the go-to goaltender but yeah Jim Jim I want to get your thoughts on what what you think of what you thought of Matt Murray's per- first performance and where you think the Penguins might go from here as we look at, as we look to round out 2018 and into 2019, where you, you and I both know that, that, that points are go- going to become even more crucial than they already are for the Penguins. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. Um, it does seem like for what you were first talking about Sullivan, I, I didn't see anything on Murray about the new year or anything like that. But they did make it seem like that his injury was, you know, he would be out for a while. And then all of a sudden he had like one practice and then he was the backup goalie. So that escalated really quickly. And I think it, I've seen some stuff like that, too, with the Matt Cullen injury. They made it seem like it was going to be kind of significant. And I think he only missed about three weeks. And then just recently they said Dominic Simone was week to week. Then all of a sudden the next day became day to day. So I guess that's kind of good news. That seems like they're over injured when it first happens a little and then we get some good news there for the most part so far this year so that's certainly a plus but um when you look at the penguins goaltending situation this early december has been a crunch they've had a couple of back-to-back situations another one tonight with washington tomorrow with minnesota so that's pretty natural you get you get both goalies in there for that I think this ends a stretch of five games in seven days and four games in six days. So it's it's been a lot of work to divide up, and I think they've done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, I was kind of interested to something you touched on, that Matt Murray came back Saturday the 15th against Los Angeles, played well, got the win. So I was kind of thinking, and I saw some media members echo this too, that it would probably be a good idea to go back to him for Monday against Anaheim since he was carrying some momentum. He's back in the lineup. He got the win. He's feeling good, but they didn't. They went to Casey DeSmith, which I think really kind of indicates the staff's faith in DeSmith. I think that shows that 
you know, they they realize that Casey DeSmith has held them right in it this last month while Murray's been hurt, and they're valuing that, and they're not just going to forget about him completely, which obviously, you know, nobody thought they would, but that's, that is a really big moment, I thought, because Mike Sullivan, even when he had Marc-Andre Fleury, Matt Murray has always been Mike Sullivan's guy, you know, as his stint with the Penguins has gone, and the first opportunity and pretty much every opportunity, Mike Sullivan has always gone to Matt Murray. And he didn't go there on Monday when there was no game on Tuesday. So it's not like there was an immediate concern there. So that that makes it interesting. And that makes you wonder who exactly they'll play against Washington tonight because Casey DeSmith was pretty good. He, did, he didn't win against the Ducks, but it wasn't really his fault they lost. So do you go back to him again? Or do you put Matt Murray in there against the Capitals, which we all know the Capitals high power o- offense. So that that's no easy game on the road to throw the goalie into just coming back from injury not too long ago. Do you use them there? So I think it'll be interesting to see how the coaches handle this situation and how they divvy up the work, especially because once we get past this week, the Penguins don't play any back-to-backs again until January 11th and 12th, which is two, three weeks down the road. So it's gonna the games are going to be broken up at least with a day or two in between. So um, I wonder if they'll start trying to work Murray back in then a little more after the Christmas break and just to see if he can reestablish himself and really get his season off to a good start. But I think for now it does. You can see obviously why they want to play D. Smith a lot because he's played so well, but I do think it curious in the big scheme of things since Matt Murray's always been the go-to guy for Mike Sullivan. And now, you know, the results don't lie and the results say that Casey Smith deserves it and he's been getting the chance to play still. So, that, yeah, that, that's a great point that you bring up. And I'm looking at the schedule. Um, you, you know, will the team go to Murray tonight uh, in, in a crucial matchup uh, against the Washington Capitals here? Um but it's interesting because the Penguins have a, have a back-to-back starting tonight uh, with the Capitals and then tomorrow night against the Minnesota Wild. So, you know, I'm not entirely familiar with the season the Wild are having. You know, if they are um, if they are what they have been in the past, that they've kind of been like meandering. Uh, they've kind of been a decently good team. Like, like I said, I, I don't know what kind of season they really are having. But in theory you would look at the wild compared to the capitals and think, well, the wild, the, the game against the wild would be the quote end quote throwaway game compared to the game against the capitals. So would the coaching staff possibly be thinking, um, we'll give Murray the game against the wild, you know, less of a high powered offense, at least in my opinion, like to the point that you were making with the capitals and their high powered offense, will they continue to roll with the Smith in this crucial divisional game and then let Murray kind of, get his feet back under him some more in the back-to-back against the Wild. Uh, that That is another interesting perspective as we look to close out the new year because, yeah, to your point, the, the Penguins, after the game against the Wild on December 20th, uh, they'll go and play the Hurricanes on December 22nd, and then they won't have a game until Thursday, December 27th after Christmas. So it, it will certainly be an interesting dynamic moving forward, and it's going to be fascinating for me, and I'm sure you as well, to, to watch this this. Another goaltending debate in Pittsburgh, even after it's funny, even after Mark Andre Fleury leaves town and goes to Vegas and after the Murray Fleury debates, uh, you, you would think that they would kind of die off with 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 Fleury's departure. 
there, there can never be enough goaltending chatter in Pittsburgh between these two netminders. So, you, you know, one, one debate dies and another one gains fresh legs and it'll be something to watch as the new year begins. That's for sure. But Jim, one other thing I wanted to get to um, in turn on the injury front was the injury to Chris Letang. Um, he suffered what looked to be a very gruesome and devastating injury, uh, leg injury against the Boston Bruins. Uh, on a Saturday night in the Saturday night's win. And everyone that I was talking to had the feeling of a lot of pessimism and, you know, oh my God, if Latang is out, this this season is now totally sunk because Latang and Dumoulin have been really the only bright spot on that defense. But thankfully, uh, as of uh, last or, um, Monday's game against the Anaheim Ducks, he was back in the lineup and, and I was I was getting the lineup news updated to my phone and I was honestly I was shocked I was shocked during the morning when he was he was taking a skate morning skate I think he was I don't know if he was originally in a no contact or if he was in full contact jersey uh, during the during the early morning skate early practices but uh, but still I, I was just shocked that he was even on the ice and participating in that kind of fashion because you, you know everyone that I was talking to was thinking Oh God, he might've blown out his knee. He could barely put any weight on that knee at the end of the Boston game. And to see him come back right, really the next, the, he, uh, against the, the, the ducks and really, I don't know if he's really no worse for wear. I mean, all these injuries that have taken a toll on his body. I, you, you don't know if he's ever really 100% healthy, but it's still a positive sign for that defense. And, you know, it goes back to the point that we were making at the beginning of the podcast with all the shots that this team is allowing, they're definitely going to need Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin's presence on that def- uh, on the blue line uh, as as this year comes to a close. And hopefully, you know, like we said, we don't see this trend of allowing 35-plus shots a game, um, unfortunately, follow this team into the new year. Yeah, it was quite incredible. Uh, Letang, not only did he play, he played 26 minutes on Monday night against the Ducks. The next highest defenseman on the Penguins had 18:34. So, like he does, he was right back in it. And to do that on a Monday night after Friday night, like you're saying, putting no real weight on his knee, and it looked like it bent back on him. And it really did look, for all the world, like that could have been, if not a major injury, at least some kind of ligament damage that would keep him out weeks, if not months. You know, and and that's even better than the worst case scenario, of course, if something majorly was wrong. And then he's just casually back a few days later on Monday, misses the one game, and and really just doesn't even look like he had missed a beat. So luckily it looks like this will be just a little footnote and we'll forget all about it in a couple weeks. And that's a really good thing because that looked like it, it could have been rough. So we have a, a great interview, Jim, that, that you conducted with a Washington Post reporter and Capitals reporter. Isabel Kishurdian. Now we have we have a great interview with her lined up momentarily. Um, but remember, this is a Penguins blog we're working for, and this is a Penguins podcast. And what good is a Penguins podcast without some talk about the Philadelphia Flyers and the shitstorm that the Philadelphia Flyers really have been in for the last several weeks? So, um, Jim, Jim, let's talk about how bad the Philadelphia Flyers are. Uh, they have, after much speculation. They have officially fired their head coach in Dave Hackstall coming after firing their general manager, Ron Hextall. Uh, thank God. I, I think I got those names correct. Uh, so many, so many Hackstalls, Hextalls, hexagons, what have you. Uh, but uh, boy, th- this, this situation, I don't know if it's gone from bad to worse for the Flyers and what looks to be a lost season, 
but uh, J- Jim, I mean, as a Penguins fan, it's great watching the Flyers, the Flyers struggle and suffer and try to find stability. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, the whole thing was was kind of, as usual, just crazy. Had the drama full of it. The Flyers had fallen the last place in the East, which is always a good thing. And like you mentioned, when they fired that GM and brought in Chuck Fletcher, who used to work for the Penguins, and Ray, he was one of Ray Shero's close associates. So you have another one of of Ray Shero's friends getting an NHL job and in the Penguins division too. Um, it was probably just a matter of time before Hextall was gone because the new GM's always going to want to bring in his guy, especially when the team's at the bottom of the standings. I saw the Flyers, they're starting their their prized prospect. They just called him up for a game on Tuesday night, which makes the sixth starting goalie they've had. And it's not even Christmas. And I think only one team in history is has done that to have six different starting goalies at some point in the season so they are just I mean they're in shambles they don't have a lot and their coach was probably holding them back and you know firing the coach is always a a way to do it but the way this came about just seemed to have so much turmoil and and just not well handled so maybe that will continue I I don't know um I don't know what your take is if you think they can salvage anything this season there's still 50 games left but and the division isn't that strong, so I don't know if they were able to climb out of this hole or if this will just kind of this dysfunction will continue. But it looks to me like it's kind of going to continue. It's crazy what eight months, nine months will do to a franchise. Um, but I still think dating back to last season in the first round matchup that the Penguins had with the Flyers, if I'm not mistaken, the Flyers kind of just eked their way into the postseason. I they they really they didn't have strong goaltending play throughout the majority of last season, I thought, and even into the postseason, and that's kind of what did them in was their their weakness in goaltender. And to your point, like you said, with the six goaltenders that they had been using into this season, now calling up Carter Hart, which if there is a silver lining to all of this madness that the Flyers have gone through, um, maybe you would hope as a Flyers fan that you know you get some good play from your prized goaltending prospect and you find some stability in net. But like you said, the division itself is in a rather down year so, you know, are we looking at another scenario with 50, a little bit of maybe over 50 games left? I think that's what you said, 50, a little bit over 50 games left where the Flyers find some momentum after the new year and eke their way into another uh, seven or eight seed in the East. Uh, that remains to be seen. But judging by all this, dis- all the dysfunction that this team has had, um, and we're not even to Christmas, like you said, um, I don't know if there if, if it's an easy fix, an overnight fix. I, I really don't think there is. Um, and I, I really don't know if the Flyers are going to make the postseason because there's just so many variables at play, especially still in net. Uh, I don't know, you know, Carter Hart coming up here, getting adjusted to the speed and the style of, of the NHL's game. Uh, I don't know if, you know, if he's ready for big time yet, but I'm sure we'll, we will watch that situation uh, quite closely as Penguin fans and as their, their greatest rival. So, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see if the Flyers just end up crashing and burning and, and not doing anything at the end of their at, at the end of the regular season too. Yeah, we can always hope for that. And while we're on rivals talk, I guess um, about time to go to Isabel. I forgot to plug her uh, twitters and stuff. You can find her work at the Washington Post. Her Twitter account is i uh which good luck 
spelling that. Uh, I guess just follow Pennsburg Pod, and we'll we'll hook it up with the link. But <laughs> she's a very good beat reporter and writer, and she'll keep you in tune if if you're interested in following the Capitals at all. It's definitely a place where you'll get all the info and and stuff that you'll want to keep an eye on them. All right, fan- that is a fantastic segue going from the Flyers to the Capitals. Great rivalry talk, Jimmy. That's why they pay you the big bucks uh, for for perfect segues like that. But uh, I am going. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to get right into your interview with Isabel Kishardian. Joining us now in the Pennsburg podcast is a very special guest that we're happy to get, the a reporter from the Washington Post who covers the Capitals. It's Isabel Kershudian. Hi, Isabel. How's it going? Good. How are you? We are doing well. Um so it's Penguins Capitals, always a big time matchup, always an emotional time. So we wanted to just get you on the show, talk your perspective, and talk about the Capitals season because it doesn't really seem like they're having a Stanley Cup hangover this year, does it? No, you know, certainly for the first, say, 15 to 20 games, uh, you know, there was a lot of inconsistency. And, you know, maybe we saw some of the quote unquote hangover then, but. Uh, they've kind of hit their stride here lately and um, kind of, you know, they've gotten some players back and even when they were still injured, they sort of started playing more to the team we expect them to be. And um, I think the only real hangover has been maybe physically where you've seen some players banged up, maybe more than usual for them. And that just could be from, you know, how much hockey they've had to play you know, in the past year. So but otherwise, you know, I think they've pretty well established themselves as, you know, a team to beat in the Metro, probably the team to beat in the Metro right now. And um, in general, I think it's a down year for the division, but uh, they've been playing pretty well, uh, I would say, for the past month. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a down year in the division because the Penguins aren't even playing all that well and they just won a couple of games and they're pretty solidly in third, fourth place right now. So without even doing all that well or hitting their stride. So I guess it's probably lucky that a team like the Flyers aren't as good as last year. And I don't even think Columbus really looks as formidable as they did last year. So I think that's definitely helping out probably the Capitals and Penguins, but the Caps more so. Um. So now probably the question that the Penguins fans all want me to ask, which to me, I don't really care, but it's a good topic. It's always a hot button issue. And that, of course, would be the play of Tom Wilson. And um, Tom Wilson, I think tomorrow night or tonight, as we listen, as we record this, will be the first Penguins-Capitals game he's played since he got suspended last playoff. And he's had a really interesting season, of course, with the big suspension in preseason. He's come back. He scored nine goals in the 13 games he's played this year, took a big hit from Ryan Reeves and was out himself with a concussion for a few days. What's your take on kind of the roller coaster season for Tom Wilson so far? And what's the perspective like now in Washington where they kind of know he's – got this big suspension and could be another big suspension if he does anything wrong. Do you think he's changed his game at all or think he needs to change his game at all? Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind for him, I think. Um, really most of it caused by him. But, um, you know, I think if the suspension taught everybody anything, it's that, you know, the Capitals need him in the lineup. They're a much different team when he's playing. And, um, they're a better team when he's in there. I think 
you know, a lot of people kind of maybe downplayed his role on that top line that, you know, sure, you're able to get points when you're playing with Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, or Ovechkin, Backstrom. But, uh, you know, that first line struggled when he wasn't there. He is a legitimate complement to those guys. And uh, now we're, you know, kind of seeing what he can bring offensively, which has been really impressive. I don't think anybody expected that, the kind of production he would have coming back. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Capitals are trying to sort of stress the same things to them, to him, that, you know, they need him, he needs to play, and, you know, that means kind of changing his game, yes, and avoiding some of those really big collisions. Uh, the, the way he can maybe stay out of trouble is just no open ice, you know, huge hits, you know, nothing that's going to maybe catch the eye of player safety that's going to lend itself to scrutiny you know, play it safe, essentially. They still want him to be physical on the forecheck, do what he does well, but um, kind of not do anything that's going to, you know, be open to question. Um, essentially, you know, keep it on the safer end of things, whereas, you know, I think he's played a lot of his career kind of on the edge, you know, on the towing that line, um, which is going to lead to crossing it every now and again. Uh, so they want him to not do that because, uh, they understand that another suspension could be, you know, something in the neighborhood of 40 games, which would be pretty devastating. Uh, they weren't, you know, they were a lot more passive. You know, the way their forward lines were set up weren't quite as effective when he was out. Um, his return just kind of allows everybody to slot into place uh, and use a big part of their penalty kill as well. So, you know, I think we're seeing how good of a player he can be and that maybe he doesn't need to play with, you know, quite that much physicality that he can tone it back a little bit be really effective offensively and uh be a good top six forward for them and i think that's what sort of the model for him going forward is one player who's definitely not having any problems playing his game right now is alex ovechkin who's probably playing the best hockey of his career with 29 goals in the first 32 games of the season to jump back out in front what are you seeing from his game? It just looks like business as usual, especially in the last week with two hat tricks and two games in a row. And he definitely still has that big shot. Um, what do you think it is about that streak right now? And how long does it look like he can sustain it? Because it pretty much looks like it's an indefinite thing right now. Yeah, I mean, he's riding a 14-game point streak, which is the best of his career. Um, and, you know, I, I was talking to Nicholas Backstrom today, who's you know, kind of the expert in all things Ovi. He's seen him up close for longer than any of us. And uh, he said that he thinks outside of last postseason, this is the best he's ever seen Ovechkin play. Uh, we're seeing an Ovechkin that's really committed to both ends of the ice. You know, he's not just kind of cheating and, you know, look, hunting for points or goals. He's, you know, playing well defensively too, that he's been on the ice more this year in late game situations, protecting, you know, one goal lead and a, five on six or whatever the case may be. Reardon has trusted him in those spots because he's, you know, earned that kind of ice time, earned playing in those situations. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I going into this year, I would have said, hey, 40 is going to be great for him if he can get to 40 goals. Maybe we all expected a little bit of hangover after, you know, a busy summer celebrating the cup, having, you know, his first son, all of that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think he ever really took all that much time off. He's come, he came into camp in even better shape than we saw last year. And, 
uh, you just kind of kept rolling. And now you start to think 60 might be possible for this year, which, you know, in this day and age is kind of crazy. He won the Richard Trophy with 49 goals last year. Uh, so, yeah, I expect him to slow down at some point, take a little bit of a dip, but he's halfway to 60 and we're 10 games short of half the season. So it's pretty good. Yes, that is unreal. One player who's kind of slumping a bit, and Pittsburgh fans might not realize it because it seems like he plays well against us in the playoffs every year, is Andre Burakovsky, who has just five goals and three assists this season, and I believe has been a scratch at times. And you reported just on Monday that there could be some trade rumors or or at least looking into at least by the Vancouver Canucks. Burakovsky has a little bit of a contract with a $3 million salary cap hit this year and next year, so that's a salary where you kind of expect more out of him. And he's still young at 23, even though he's been around for a while. What do you think it is? Why hasn't he really gotten on track this season? And what are you hearing? And do you think a, a trade could be coming up pretty soon to send Burkowski out? And what would the Cats be looking for, do you think, if they do elect to move him on? Yeah, so it's complicated because he's actually an RFA uh, restricted free agent at the end of this season. Uh, so that would mean the Caps would have to match uh, $3.25 million salary as a qualifying offer. And, you know, the way he's played last year, so far this year, you know, I don't know if he would really earn that kind of money, if that makes sense. Um, so they have sort of some decisions to make. I think first and foremost, they're hopeful that whenever he gets back in the lineup, and he will eventually, um, that he kind of turns the season around, he plays well, he responds well, and uh, this all has a happy ending where he stays on the team for years to come. I think that's their preference, certainly. But, um, you, you know, when you see a 23-year-old young, you know, skilled forward, someone who was drafted in the first round, uh, sitting out of the lineup, teams are going to call. Uh, that makes sense. And certainly the Capitals have had a lot of calls on him. It's not just Vancouver. It's other teams, too. And, uh, you know, I don't think – the Caps are in any sort of rush to do it. They don't feel any need or pressure to trade Burakovsky. I think if they get an offer they really like, yeah, they're open to it. But it's not a thing where, you know, they're actively shopping him, trying to get rid of him as soon as possible. Uh, so as far as what they would want back, I think it would have to be a middle six forward, someone who can kind of play on the third line beside Lars Eller, where, you know, when Burakovsky's playing well, that's where he's supposed to be. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's not going to happen soon. I don't think it'll happen before the roster freeze or anything like that, but I do think it's something to kind of watch for, uh, before the deadline because teams are going to be inquiring, I imagine. And, uh, he is, even with his contract coming up, he's a guy who, you know, if you're another team, you look at him and say, Hey, maybe he just needs a change of scenery. I think most of his struggles are more mental confidence that sort of thing he's you know acknowledged that that's something that's been hard for him over the years and uh he worked with kind of a mental coach a sports psychologist kind of guy this summer in sweden uh so you know maybe a different team says okay we can put him in a better spot maybe get him higher in the lineup more minutes and you know he'll be really good for us and but the capitals would probably want someone of a similar caliber someone who's also kind of young and has plays with some speed back. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know. Uh, no team or player really comes to mind immediately as a good fit, but uh, they're open to it for sure. Gotcha. That makes sense. 
And one thing that Pittsburgh fans probably will be interested in is a player who was up here for a long time being Brooks Orpic. He's only played 10 games this year and is out. Is he he's still going to be out for a while, right? I don't know if it's a while, but uh, he's certainly not playing Wednesday, and I don't know if he'll play before the Christmas break. Uh, he's got, um, you know, he had orth- arth- arthroscopic knee surgery uh, like f- um, four weeks ago, and he's been skating, but he hasn't practiced with the team yet. Uh, and we certainly won't see him back on the ice before he gets in a couple practices uh, with contact and all of that. So, you know, this week is looking like a tough one, especially with them not practicing on Thursday. Uh, so, yeah, I I think he'll be back by the new year, but not too, too soon. Okay. And from the uh, Washington perspective, what are you looking forward to seeing or interested in seeing as they get ready to play the Penguins? What do you think the biggest matchup will be or one of the best determining factors for the upcoming game or just the two teams in general, how they're going to be matching up? Yeah, I think it's, you know, a little bit more interesting, you know, than the last meeting just because both teams are kind of playing better. You know, the Capitals have sort of hit their stride. Pittsburgh certainly seems to be kind of on the upswing from some of their earlier struggles. Uh, So, you know, I I think it's a little bit of a more interesting test. Um, And, wow, it's actually the third time these guys have played. I I hate when they, like, play too many times early in the season. It's more interesting later. But in any case, um, I think it'll be good to see sort of like a good measuring stick for where both teams are at. But uh, for the Capitals, they've had a lot of issues with their special teams lately. I think it's two games in a row they've allowed three power play goals um and their own power play hasn't you know been that effective it's had some issues with in zone pressure so uh I'll be I think the game might come down to that if the Capitals can kind of get their penalty kill back on track against you know what's traditionally been a very very good Pittsburgh power play Traditionally yeah but we'll have to see Patrick Hornquist has been out for probably a week, 10 days, and he's kind of the straw, straw that stirs the drink in a lot of ways for the power play because I don't think the Penguins' power play really in the past three, four, or five games has been all that great themselves. They've kind of tough times, and they've given up, I think, seven or eight shorthanded goals, which has driven everybody crazy to be giving <laughs> up goals on the power play. But I guess that's just how it goes sometimes with skilled players. And, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I was looking at it because these two teams played in what was opening night for Pittsburgh, a 7-6 win and overtime, back and forth, lots of fun. And then they met again in a 2-1 to Washington win, which I forgot all about for a second until realizing I made myself forget it because TJ Oshie scored late in that one for a nice yeah, that goal was a to win Warrior it. Game. <laughs> yeah. He got like hurt like four times and came back. Then we got this game, and I don't. I think the t- teams only play one more time the rest of the regular season in March. So I guess the NHL just figures since they play every playoff, anyways, just make them play early in the year and then give them a break from each other until they'll play later on, anyways. Yeah, March is a good time, though. That's a good. That's pretty close to the end of the year where I'll be a good gauge for their eventual second round meeting. Certainly. And um, from your Washington Post coverage, I did see that during the summer, the celebration that you got to spend some time with Ovechkin, right? So what was that like going out there and 
witnessing that party? Did you get to join in at all, or how how did that go? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I went to Ovechkin's Stanley Cup Day and uh, Backstrom's in Sweden as well. So I did those two. Um, and they were very different, kind of like the two players are pretty different. Um, Ovechkin's was pretty, you know, he gets the cup for two days, you know, as every captain does. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it's Moscow. It's very big and bright and sort of his party kind of uh fell into that um and it was he brought the cup to red square which was kind of an unbelievable thing to see um how quickly people recognized him and the trophy and were sort of the mob that like was drawn to that and you know backstrom's was a lot more mellow and kind of intimate and personal in a way um he brought it to there's this like little rink in his uh hometown of valbo sweden uh, that's actually named after him. It's called Nickback Arena, not to be confused with Nickelback. Um, and <laughs> he, uh, you know, it's very small and, uh, you know, just hung out there and took pictures for everybody before, like, having a kind of little shindig at his house. Uh, so no real joining in for me other than the fact that I was there and sort of documented it all. But I never drank out of the cup this summer. Um, unlike every other person around it, seemingly. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think, I don't know if Americans really realize that Malkin and Ovechkin, especially Ovechkin, how big of like almost rock stars they are in Russia. I know Malkin has, if, on his social media, you'll see he sponsors, like he has like a razor deal and a watch deal and all this kind of stuff. And I know Ovechkin makes al- almost as much as Crosby in endorsements. So, those guys mean a lot, and I could only imagine what it would be like if Malkin and Ovechkin could one day bring the Olympic gold medal to um, Russia. Yeah, that would be a much bigger deal over there than a Stanley Cup would. But, you know, you, I think what struck me was how, like, you would hear all these – I speak Russian, so you would hear all these, like, people yelling at, you know, Alex or Ovechkin that, like, he's – we're so happy for you um, – you know, we're so glad you finally did it, things like that in Russian, like as he was walking around. I think people always kind of thought that one day he would bring the cup there and uh, it took longer than really everybody expected, but finally happened. And that is definitely good stuff. And Isabel, we appreciate your time for sure to kind of bring us up to speed on the Washington Capitals season as they probably, now that Philly's fallen off, become one of the main rivals, if not the main rival, for the Pittsburgh Penguins these days. So it's always fireworks when these two teams play. It's always a good game, it seems like. Back and forth, one goal, you never know. It always comes down to the end, seemingly, of of who's going to win. So hopefully it'll be a good one this week. So thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That was Isabel Kishurdian of the Washington Post. Uh, she, like you said, covers the Washington Capitals to great extent with her insight and expertise, uh, giving us some insight into tonight's matchup against the Washington Capitals and another cr- crucial divisional game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that will just about do it for this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast. Again, uh, Jimmy, I want to thank you for coming on and and. Helping, helping me out, really, uh, really pinch hitting coming off the bench with my technical difficulties early on, not being able to contribute to the interview. So I appreciate you for that. Um, where can the fine folks, if they want to, where can they find you if they want to follow you on all the all the fun social medias? Where can they find you? 
on of course hooks underscore orpic on twitter or just pensberg on twitter or best of all pensberg pod absolutely thank you thank you for for doing my work for me and getting all the plugs in there for for all, all of our accounts you can follow jim there follow again at pensberg and at pensberg pod at pensberg pod to get notified when a new episode of the pensberg podcast goes out uh, you can follow myself on twitter as well at g Bahana at G-B-E-H-A-N-N-A. Um, we also have an email address if you'd like to send any correspondences to uh, our email address. at uh, It is pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and again, if you like what you're listening to on your streaming service of choice, I know we are on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Apple Play, Apple Podcast and Google Play, excuse me. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, please take two seconds out of your day to give us a nice rating on your streaming service of choice. It means a lot to me, and it means I'm sure it means a lot to Jim and everyone else here to let us know that you know we're putting in all, all of this hard work and it's paying off, and we're finally getting a nice audience of diehard, dedicated Penguins fans to listen to this podcast. But uh, for uh, for Jim Rixner, Jim, if you have nothing else to nothing else to plug for Jim Rixner, uh, I have been Garrett Behanna. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to another great episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas, guys.